This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, coming to you from Philadelphia. French President Emmanuel Macron is visiting the United States this week with a variety of topics on his agenda. They include the steel tariffs that President Trump announced recently. It also is expected that the two may discuss the Iran nuclear deal and its phase, its fate, excuse me. But another story is the friendship that these two have seemingly forged in the last several months. To discuss this trip, we are joined here in studio by Daniel Kellerman, who is a political science professor and chair in European Union politics at Rutgers University. And on, a, on with us on the phone is Olivier Chatan, who's an associate professor at HEC Paris and a senior fellow at the Mac Institute for Innovation Management right here at the Wharton School. Dan, as always, great seeing you. Thank you for joining us today. Nice to be back with you, Dan. Thank you. Olivier, great to have you on the phone. Hi, Dan. Hi, Daniel. Great to, to talk with you as well. Uh, I want to start with this this issue of friendship, which seemingly a lot of articles have picked up on, uh, Dan, in the last uh, in the last few months. Maybe friendship might be a little bit of a strong word, but seemingly these two are trying to forge uh, ideas to come together. There are certain situations where seemingly the two are kind of linked in terms of trade deficit and a couple of other issues. Yeah, well, I wouldn't really uh, frame it as a friendship, although it's a nice story that the uh, press is picking up on. But I think really what we're seeing here is that Macron is being very uh, pragmatic, very diplomatic, and really uh, saw an opportunity to put himself forward as the sort of natural uh, leader of Europe and the bridge to the U.S., particularly in a situation where uh, Angela Merkel, who, um, you know, with past administrations had kind of been the the chief European partner, let's say. Yeah. yeah she got off on a bad footing right away with uh, Trump uh, and also, you know, in his eyes was very closely associated with Obama, with whom she had had very cordial, close relations. And so Macron, because he was new coming in, didn't have that history with Obama, right? He was... Uh, you know, a new face. And also, you know, there are other aspects of, of him that maybe appealed to uh, Trump, that he's this maverick, uh, strong leader, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think Macron is, is playing that uh, quite usefully. Olivier? Yes, I, I agree. I think that uh, if these two presidents have something in common is that they, they both believe they can convince anyone. So, of course, if you put them in the same room, interesting things will happen. But this is really out of pragmatism by Macron. We have that uh, effectively kind of a vacuum in Europe uh, because of Angela Merkel's situation, but also with uh, Theresa May being a bit consumed by, by Brexit. And so Macron finds himself in a position of, by default, uh, interlocutor, and at the same time, very pragmatically, uh, and as Daniel said, very diplomatically, he wants to push his advantage, and he's going to he's adapting his behavior to, to to President Trump. Has that basically been the, the the conversations that you've heard from the media and people in and around France uh, regarding this visit to the U.S., Olivier? Uh, well, in, in in France, there is you know there's a bit of pageantry around that, that visit, and so people find find it very interesting. But at the same time, it's the preoccupations in France are, are more about internal issues, 
and there's not much of a link between these issues and uh, the, the visit itself. So I think that people are more looking at the, you know, the, let's say the, the gossipy version of the, of, the, of the visit rather than the actual substance, which is itself really very much about the two topics you mentioned earlier, namely the, the Iran nuclear deal and the possible uh, resumption of tariffs uh, after May. And seemingly, when you talk about the Iran nuclear deal, it, it seems like that the President Trump is kind of, a, 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 you know, standing by his, his lonesome at this point, because seemingly a lot of countries believe that the Iran nuclear deal is a pretty good deal to try and kind of control what Iran's doing. I, I'm guessing that's kind of the, the belief across Europe right now. Well, yeah, I think uh, so. Oh, sorry. We, uh, for, for Dan first, then I'll get Olivia. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, so... I think uh, Macron himself was on Fox News the other day, gave an interview where he was making the point, um, you know, the deal isn't perfect, but there's no plan B, right? There's no alternative. Yeah. Uh, and so I think uh, Macron and uh, Trump will hear the same thing later this week from Merkel when she visits as well, yeah. right? That they want to keep uh, the nuclear deal alive. Uh, and I, I would add that, you know, in part, that's, of course, to contain uh, Iran's nuclear program, which is the you know, stated purpose, uh, main objective of the deal, and to prevent getting into a scenario that resembles like North Korea, right, where you have uh, to deal with a, a nuclear Iran. But then I, I think the other, um, the other issue we should keep in mind is the commercial interests, right? Since the sanctions uh, were reduced or lifted uh, on Iran, France, other European countries have started developing a lot of trade relationships yeah. Uh, and that's really intensified over the past year, and they don't want that imperiled. Olivier? Yeah, yeah this is correct. I think that there are, there are, interest, uh, there are some, some commercial interests. Uh, although at the same time, the new sanctions would be from the U.S. would be very disappointing for firms like Boeing, <clears throat> who are also hoping to, to sell airplanes to, to Iran. Uh, but fundamentally, I think the, the big driver is the, the fear of having another nuclear power developing uh, in, the, in the Middle East like this, uh, because there's a clear sense that for all the imperfections of the current nuclear deal, there's not much of an alternative, and that if Iran went to, to go out of a deal, it could very easily develop a bomb very fast. And as we see now, once the genie is out of the, the bottle, uh, as we have in North Korea, that creates all kinds of, of issues. So the, the issue will be how to, how to convince uh, President Trump to to either continue satisfying the deal and or pretend that uh, the, the deal doesn't need recertification. But for the European who spent a lot of capital trying to, to work the deal, it's very important to, to keep that alive for all the imperfections of the deal. Yeah, and I mean, I think one other thing, and I, and I think Olivier is exactly right, it really is you know, primarily about the, the nuclear threat. and uh, uh, But... Economically, I would also add that, of course, if uh, the U.S. leaves the deal, you know that that could do a lot of things um, more in a macro sense to energy prices, for instance, sure, and yeah. that would be a big worry for Europe. Uh, you know, right now they've got their sort of fledgling recovery, and uh, they don't want that shot down by increasing energy prices or something like that. I, I mentioned the steel tariffs, which obviously is something that has drawn a lot of news uh, here in the last month here in the United States. But how much of an impact is there, Daniel, with steel coming from Europe to the United States? 
you know, is it a is it a significant amount? Is the tariff a significant concern for the European countries? And seemingly, it feels like that President Trump is willing to kind of you know break from that rule when he needs to. He's already made that change in terms of allowing Canada and Mexico to kind of be exempt from the tariff. And you would think that he would probably do the same for Europe as well. Well, that's certainly what Macron and Merkel uh, hope for and will be pushing, you know, this week uh, in their visits. But keep in mind, he set uh, Trump set this uh, May first deadline, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so for now, he has not granted the EU a permanent exemption. And to answer your question, yes, it would be a very big deal. I mean, often when you look at the trade figures, they do countries one at a time, and so it doesn't look as though sure. you know any individual EU country is you know as, as big a, a trade partner on steel or aluminum, right? But when you look at the combine EU, them. yeah, combine them, then they are very significant. And the EU already has lined up, right? They announced this package of retaliatory tariffs they would impose if the U.S. goes ahead, you know, with these. And so, really, uh, you know, it could just be the beginning, right? This would be the fear of a kind of spiraling trade war between you know, the EU and the U.S., which are really the two biggest trade and investment partners in the world. Well, you mentioned the the the, uh, the group, the European Union as a whole, mm-hmm. but when you break it down, who are the the biggest? Partners. I mean, Germany. I would think is one of them, and probably France is right up there as well. In terms of individual countries that uh, that that have impact with steel, Olivier, do you know? Uh, I, I don't have a breakdown for for steel, but I would imagine that Germany is certainly, it's probably, I would say, the, the one that's most concerned with it. Uh, potentially a bit France as well, but I think uh, as. Daniel mentioned the the big fear is really that the further escalation of that trade war. So we, we can make fun of it when the EU is threatening to tax Jack Daniels and blue jeans. Uh, but that <laughs> if, if it escalates further, that, that's seen as a massive problem because uh, the US is maybe the most important partner of Europe, not only for for commerce but also strategically. And it is seen that such a the dissair in the relationship would be damaging for both. We are talking with Dad, Daniel Kellerman of Rutgers University and Olivier Chatan of HEC Paris and the Wharton School joining us here as we talk about the visit of uh, French President Emmanuel Macron. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The other interesting piece, uh, Olivier, is the fact that this is the first state visit that President Trump is doing uh, since he has become president. There's also the note that uh, that President Macron is going to do a uh, is going to speak before a joint session of Congress. And in reading up on this, this is the first time since Charles de Gaulle in 1960, I believe it was, that a French president will speak before the joint session uh, of the U.S. government. How important is this in terms of, in terms of Macron's career? So. I think that Macron really positions himself as, uh, let's put it this way, as, as a new de Gaulle, if you will, in terms of restoring the, the, the greatness of the, of the office of president in France. So that really plays with that, with that particular image he, he wants to, to project. So he's going to feel very comfortable doing that. Is is very self-assured. Uh, I think he's going to probably. Sp- make some part of a speech, if not the entire speech in English, just to show how world, uh, let's say, easy with being in the world he, he is. Uh, and within a scene from France, I think that's consistent with Macron seen as someone who is uh, credible internationally, something that 
maybe the past and the previous president as well were maybe not as uh, seen as, as strong. It was not seen as being their, their strong suit. So it's, it's really consistent with the image he wants to project. And I think this is something that the, the French are, are generally uh, fine with. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing I'd add, which is interesting about that, is that uh, Macron is a huge supporter of European integration in the EU, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, he uh, you know, sees himself, right, as a national leader, as someone who can speak on behalf of the EU. And that was a kind of traditional view, if you go back to, you know, the early days of uh, the European community, the uh, French leaders often thought that they were the natural sort of voice of Europe on the world stage. Mm -hmm. And Macron is very much trying to take that back with Brexit coming, right? Uh, the UK being the sort of natural partner of the US in the EU. Well, that's going to disappear. Merkel is in her last term, right? So she's on yeah. her way out. Yeah. He is this new leader who's come in with a five-year mandate, and he could, if he wins re-election, you know, he might be there for 10 years, right? So he is very much, as Olivier said, in trying to project himself as this leader, uh, both on behalf of France and restoring its diplomatic status, yeah. but also on behalf of all of Europe. How, how significant, though, can that potentially be? I mean, it w I would think it would be fairly significant potentially for the future economically of France to be able to be this leader and to be able to to potentially be the the one making the the, the policy statements to a degree for not only France but for Europe as well knowing that France and Germany it's been reported about uh, the the trade deficit that even France has with mm -hmm. with Germany at this point well I think and Olivier can probably speak to this also but I think part of what Macron's trying to do, you have to take a step back, think about his whole worldview. And this is something where he differs completely with Trump, right? So despite that they found some um, you know, areas uh, to get along, you know, their real, the worldviews are fundamentally different. Yeah. So that where Trump is this uh, economic nationalist, uh, Macron is very much uh, what these days people are calling a globalist or whatever, that he is you know, embracing, uh, he, and he wants France to embrace this kind of outward-looking role and optimistic, confident role that France can be an uh, efficient export power, you know, sure. um, uh, sort of liberalize some aspects of its economy. And, uh, yeah, in that sense, you know, be a little bit more like Germany uh, taking advantage of, you know, what global markets have to offer in terms of opportunities for French business and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it's part of this uh, uh, confident embrace of the world that he, uh, that is his vision and that he's trying to get French people to come along with. Olivier? Yeah, I, I really subscribe to, to that view. Uh, what Macron is trying to do is to, to, to pass a very large package of reforms in France. And the fact that he's doing that and that he's tackling all these big issues that have been left, uh, let's say, unattended for so many years has really led to a change in, of, of image of, of France uh, uh, as seen from, from the outside. And so that, that, that state visit and Macron putting himself as being uh, the same footing as uh, the president of the United States, uh, projecting a self-confidence, not out of pride, but just, but really out of, okay, we are now getting things done. So that, that pragmatism goes with globalism in, in that sense, and that also goes with pro-EU uh, pro values, but it's all tried to be, let's say, this is all combined with, uh, uh, it's also harking back to a certain French tradition. So it's trying to get this impossible combination of being outward-looking, globalist, being pro-business, yeah. but at the same time remaining 
French as seen from from the French viewpoint. But that being said, though, he also has has talked in the past, Macron, about he he does have concerns about China's trade policy and concerns about China investment in, in Europe as well. Uh, which I guess to a degree, Daniel, goes ag- against some of the views of other leaders in uh, in Europe as well. Well, and I think if we tie that you know to the visit here and the discussion of tariffs, I think what Macron's going to you know try to do is say, well. Uh, President Trump, you may have issues with China, but don't uh, sort of put us in the same basket with them. Yeah. Rather, you need your European allies right, to stand with you and to demand sort of fairer trade with China. And again, that that isn't to say he's going to do the same kind of um, you know, protectionist moves that Trump's done, but I think he's really going to try to plant this idea of uh, dividing your, your allies from those who are engaging in unfair trade or that sort of thing. Olivier? Yes, I agree. I think that... Uh even though Macron is pro-Europe and is, you can see him as a globalist, is is totally willing to play hardball if necessary. So there's no, in that sense, there's no contradiction. And since he's a big pragmatic, it, if there are issues with any country, including China, he's going to try to to to, to get everyone possible on his side, including uh, President Trump, even though their basic worldviews are very, very different. We are joined uh, in studio by Daniel Kellerman of Rutgers University, Olivier Chatan of HEC Paris and the Wharton School. Your comments again, welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Not only Daniel is, is, is Macron seen as a globalist, but also their views on climate change are obviously quite a bit different, he and Trump. Uh, obviously, uh, Macron would like to be able to see uh, the Paris Climate Accord be able to move forward with the United States as part of it. I don't know if he brings that up on this visit, but it's obviously something that is probably in his mind that he needs to discuss with President Trump at some point. Yeah, I think, I mean, they've discussed it before, I think, in, in their uh, last visit in Paris that yeah. came up. It's, you know, been a recurring theme. And by the way, you know, apparently from the press reports, uh, they talk quite regularly, you know, in particular with yeah. regard to Syria and um, uh, issues like that. So, you know, they're in touch. And I know he's pressed him on the issue. And um, energy and climate policy um, and the fight against climate change is a priority, a uh, very strong priority for Macron. But I, you know, I doubt that'll be the top issue in their yeah. meetings today. Olivier? Yes, uh, I, I think that's one of the underlying issues. But I, I can I can think that Macron probably thinks that it's going to be very hard to to make President Trump move on that issue. Although uh, I was looking at the list of people who were brought in the French delegation, and I think uh, I spotted a couple of scientists who were brought to France to work on climate-related uh, issues. So I guess that. Outside the level of the president, when you have other discussions around these issues, will also be still concerning climate change and the Paris Accord. What's the expectation that you have then, Olivier, of these three days that that President Macron will be here? What what is kind of the best ca- best case scenario in your mind? Uh, well, the best case scenario would be to to convince. Donald Trump, for at least a few days, that uh, not everything is bad with the Iran deal, uh, and uh, maybe on the, the medium run to, to, 
to, to nudge him towards uh, accord, I mean, g- giving to the EU an, an exemption from the, from the tariffs. That would be the best. So I'm, I'm not holding on uh, the first point on the Iran nuclear deal. On uh, the medium run, I'm, I'm not holding my breath, to be, to be very honest, uh, because uh, the, the impression or the, the argument that Macron may be able to make, well, you know, that Macron will not be staying in Washington forever, so these things will apparently come and go. Uh, so that would be the, the, the best case scenario would be move positive move on, the, on these two fronts. Uh, I'm more optimistic on the trade war front than on the Iran nuclear deal front, sadly. Yeah, I would agree uh, in terms of the likelihood of success on those two. I mean, the one other issue you know that's likely to come up quite a bit is Syria, right? Yeah. And uh, Trump is talking about you know pulling out all U.S. involvement, and Macron is going to be um, you know pushing him not to pull out U.S. troops. You know, worrying about mm-hmm. uh, the kind of vacuum that will create, into which you know more uh, Russian influence uh, could. Um, move in and and also uh you know isis coming back etc so i think that'll be the the third uh the top three issues well and the russia piece to it is very interesting because of the fact that seemingly the european union continues to not think highly of russia and some of the things that are being done uh by uh president putin uh and we've seen the the united states in this administration put uh, put sanctions on various oligarchs in Russia, but that's been the extent as to what this administration has done to this point. So again, I would think that 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 Russia could be an area as well that that can be discussed, and whether or not that that anything happens on it is still be determined. But at least it's something that Macron really wants to, I would think, bring forward. Well, yeah, Macron, uh, the EU has uh, imposed and maintained these sanctions yeah. on Russia. I mean, there's the the new sort of uh, sanctions because of the poisoning uh, in the UK. But leaving that aside, there were already, you know, the long-run sanctions that have been in place because of the um, illegal invasion of uh, Ukraine and takeover of Crimea. So the EU has sustained those sanctions. Um, And also, you know, more generally, Macron is, you know, he himself uh, and uh, the French uh, presidential election was targeted by Russian hacking, right? And he was, apparently he had a very uh, clever and well-designed kind of counter ops, uh, you know, to defend uh, his campaign against that. But that being said, they're very um, aware in Europe and Macron very much of the kind of efforts of Russia to meddle in domestic affairs and um, you know, the kind of security threat they pose on the eastern flank. And so, yes, he'll want um, he'll want the U.S. Uh, to maintain sanctions. And as you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, you know, from the Trump administration signs they may be rolling those back, right? Olivier? Yes, I, I agree. I think the, the, the Russia topic is, is, is very sensitive. Uh, and that's something that Macron is Indeed, as personally uh, experienced, and I remember when the very last day before the the, the election, before the, the media blackout, just before the election, then there was a bunch of leaks that went out, but it t- turned out that these leaks were actually fake documents made by the Macron campaign to discredit yeah. the leakers. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's some clear, close experience there. Uh, but there's one topic I'd like to to out there as well, which was related to Russia. I think that one one aspect of that relationship that may be a bit underreported, but which I think is actually one of the main objectives of Macron as well, is to continue keeping and strengthening uh, defense-related and security uh, links between the two countries. Yeah. Uh, and which we another symptom of that was the, the Syria, uh, the, the, the 
of intervention in Syria, uh, there's a sense that uh, there needs to be some very close cooperation between the two countries, and that's something that France really depends on, uh, maybe more than the U.S. depends on France, and that's something that is clearly uh, a major uh, point, is to maintain that relationship and deepen that relationship on the defense side. Yeah, and I think that's uh, completely correct. And I mean, in a bigger picture, beside... Um, or in addition to being a, a big champion of European cooperation, integration in the EU and um, and in security, uh, Macron is also uh, you know very much behind the transatlantic alliance, that kind of traditional yeah. view. And and a lot of people have been worried that the Trump administration, um, you know, some of the figures, people like Bolton coming in now, you know, maybe sort of pushing for dividing that traditional uh, you know Western alliance, um, you know, with a more America first attitude that's suspicious of things like NATO. And so Macron really wants to keep the U.S. on board with security cooperation. Olivier, there part of that story also is the fact that there has been uh, a growing uh, level of watch. I won't say concern, but but of watch right now of Chinese investment here in the United States. Is there that same level of watch? Maybe not necessarily concern in Europe, where where China investment is concerned. Well, I, I don't think that this, the awareness is as high as, as in the U.S. in the way you describe it. Uh, but I would expect that something that is starting to be to be monitored uh, very closely, and not only in, in in France or in Europe itself, but if you think of as well in the traditional European sphere of influence, like uh, in countries like in Africa, where you see a lot of investment and influence from China, and that's something that uh, I would say people in Europe have still have some some need to to wake up to. Great having you both with us. By the way, uh, one article that I saw yesterday regarding this visit between uh, the two leaders said that uh, President Trump likes to be charmed. So Mr. Macron should just turn on the charm for the next three days and, and things should go well. So, uh, I mean, that's <laughs> that's not to be surprised, I think, in any way, shape or form. Yeah, and he's good at that. So I think that that aspect should go well. Dan, great seeing you again. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, great Thank to you. see you. Uh, Olivier, as always, great to talk to you. We will uh, catch up with you again soon. Bye. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.